we've all heard the expression, two sides of the same coin. And it's an interesting phrase because it also has its parallel or equivalent in the spiritual realm. There are indeed two sides to us as believers as we continue on in our journey in faith here on planet Earth. Have you ever thought to yourself, how could I be a Christian yet I feel these uh, emotions that don't line up with what I perceive a Christian should be? Perhaps you vocalize something you shouldn't or even worse, perhaps maybe you do something that you shouldn't uh, be doing or have done. And then in the next breath, you find yourself reading the Bible, worshiping the Lord in music, uh, talking in fellowship with other believers. And then a bunch of thoughts maybe pop into your mind or certain emotions run rampant in you and you find yourself in this juxtaposition, this oxymoronic state of how can these dual things coexist at the same time when I thought that I was going to be this holy, beautiful Christian that is spoken of in the Bible. Well, let me present something that I would posit to you to perhaps settle for yourself the reality of what I just said, that there are two sides to the same coin and there are two sides to you as a believer in the Lord. Let's start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that Adam has been created in the image of God. And in verse 20, it says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought, it, brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Eve was not a separate created being the way Adam was a unique, individually created uh, in the image of God. Woman came out of Adam, very much a part of Adam, very much in sync, and uh, think of it as, you know, in, in sci-fi terms, cloned, <laughs> if you will. I know it's, a, it's not the right expression, but think of it in that regard because it factors into even marriage. The verse in 24 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's important to note, that word flesh, because we still have flesh as one side of the coin, and we have our born-again spirit as the other side of the coin, both operating and existing in the same body, same space, until eternity. 
Keep that thought in your mind because you have one side of the coin male, the other side of the coin female. Now, I'm very careful here to not uh, lead you on a rabbit hole of gender neutrality and all of that stuff, but rather to show you that we are one united in the flesh. And then for those who are born again of the spirit, you are united in Christ. But it is interesting to note that that dual uh, makeup, composite, etc. I'm trying to find a theological word that describes it. Is operating as a unit in the same breath. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But I'm trying to present the duality of things you see throughout the Bible. Let's move on now to a few more examples. Let us look at Cain and Abel. Well, we know the story of Cain and Abel, the offspring of uh, Adam and Eve, and the story of how Cain murdered uh, Abel, and how Hebrews describes that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground and that uh, his blood was better than the sacrifice of bulls and goats, and that's a different uh, story. But let's look at what John 1, 3.12 has to say. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. We see the dual nature, two sides of the same coin there, mankind, humankind, came out of Adam and Eve, yet one had a different seed than the other. Cain had the seed of the devil. Abel had the seed that would eventually lead to the messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.15 called the Proto-Evangelium. And this was part of God's plan, which he foreknew from eternity to bring a savior into the world to correct, not because he was caught off guard, but because this was already foreordained in many ways, way before uh, creation. The omnipotent, all-knowing God who already knew this. But Cain and Abel, we have two sides of the same coin, one evil, one good, if you will. Let us look now at Esau and Jacob in Romans 9.13. Actually, let's start from verse 10. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Think about that, the dual nature, the twins. Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. There was that two sides of the same coin in Jacob and Esau, two different seeds operating at the same time. Then, of course, there's David and Saul. 
Saul, obviously, wanted to kill David out of jealousy. David, the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And despite the things that uh, he did wrong in his life, nonetheless, he held a great honor in God's sight because of God's plan for him and for Israel and for the rest of the world to come. I'm trying to posit the dual nature of things, and these are just simple examples only. In the case of Judas and Jesus, we see clearly how Jesus uh, betrayed um, uh, Jesus uh, with a kiss. In uh, Luke 22, 48, it says, But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The dual nature of two things operating, the same sides of the coin, if you will. I'm not likening Judas to Jesus as the other side of the coin, but rather the parallel. Not in his divinity by any stretch of the imagination, let me be clear, but rather the dual nature of two things, the seeds, the two seeds operating in the same realm, if you will. You know, people will say things like, I have a split personality, or that person seems to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. One moment they're nice and sweet, and the next moment they're all angry and, you know, in your face. Well, that is the dual nature of what we have to endure here on planet Earth until the Garden of Eden is restored the way God wants it to be uh, restored. But I now come to the point of this battle in ourselves that I referenced before, which is, you know, how can I as a Christian feel this you know, wonderful, overwhelming joy for the Lord and exuberance and mountaintop experience. And then the next minute, here I am cussing the guy off on the road or uh, saying or feeling something or th evil thoughts and so forth. And I want you to realize that this battle is going to continue for the rest of your mortal life until you come into glory with the Lord or if the Lord returns before that happens, it will be restored, not to give up hope, not to beat yourself up, not to come under false condemnation, but at the same time to recognize what power and control you have over, over the flesh. To mortify the deeds of the flesh is what Paul says, and that you can do this. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, listen to this, very important, as it is, no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Let me repeat, and I want you to 
sila, to think about what I just said. Think on these things. I'm going to repeat it again. I do not understand what I do, for I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. He continues in verse 12. Therefore, brothers of chapter 8, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. and By him we cry, Abba, Father. In verse 26 of chapter 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know how much clearer Paul could have been in describing the two sides of the coin, the struggle of sin and temptation versus the power of the Spirit in us and the promise of the Spirit to intercede and to empower us to live according to not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. We just have an obligation to agree with the Lord and say, Lord, yes, 
two, we must explicitly put our trust in that, not in our ability to overcome our bad deeds or our thoughts or to, to say, I must, I must, I must, I must improve myself and uh, try to work it up in your own uh, flesh. You're going to fail nor to beat yourself up and say, how can I be acting or thinking like this as a Christian? You still have the sinful nature residing in you. It's going to be there. Uh, in the words of what's that guy, he said, get over it. <laughs> Basically, recognize what is happening. Be aware. Okay, I get it now. The flesh, the flesh is still there as long as you're alive in the body. The old man... The old Adamic soul and spirit has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. So your faith is lived by Christ's very own flesh. Look that up in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. But your flesh is still a slave to sin because you're still in this tent as peter describes it this body on earth here and you just have to learn not to give in to it meaning it's going to want demands it says i'm hungry feed me i need some rice and peas right away beg you beg you a little soup there no my love it's going to make those demands uh, give me a cigarette give me some drugs give me some alcohol uh do this do that etc it's constantly uh, working, waging war, as Paul describes it. But the spirit is stronger. It's a greater law than the law of sin. It's the law of the spirit. And you cannot fight it in the flesh. You have to fight it in the spirit. You have to simply say, Lord, I believe. I believe that I have your Holy Spirit living in me because I am a child of God. I am born again. I believe that I have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome and I simply have to say in the name of Jesus. And that's it. That's it, brothers and sisters. You do not need to condemn yourself. You do not need to uh, fight it in your own flesh. You simply need to overrule it, override the software program. And that is just prayer and faith. And just Sometimes I say, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes I say, uh, maybe not out loud if you're on a subway. I'm sure people will freak out. But I, I do that on a regular basis because I know what's happening. The flesh is trying to rile up and I just I tell it to back off. Simple as that. You have dominion over the flesh just as God gave dominion over the earth uh, in the Garden of Eden. That still exists. Your old Adamic uh, self, if you will, still has dominion over certain things. And your your spirit in Christ, the new Adam, uh, has even greater power and dominion. So I hope that this has encouraged you to not beat yourself up, to not wonder why is this confused state of what's happening with me, just to be aware, to make sure that you know you have the power to overcome this. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus, everyone, Lord, who has heard this, I pray that you, by your Spirit, Lord, encourage, uh, show them from the Word of God, Lord, it is living and active. May it penetrate to dividing joints, soul, and body, and spirit, O God. And that we may recognize the awesome power of your word and what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.